so what I was gonna kind of try to wrap up with was uh, I feel like what you're saying is like 100% spot on as far as unity and us all being on the same page. Once we get on the same page, there's nothing that will stop us. However, uh, I don't believe we will. Like I'll, I'll I'll say like this: at this point. In this one, it's only one interaction. Hopefully, there's many more to come. But at this point, in this interaction, mm -hmm. I couldn't get on the same page with you, and also a Muslim brother couldn't get on the same page as you. Oh, it's certain things. But you are actually are on the same page with me already, and I'm on the same page with you. I know, you but already. I'm saying as far let's let's say you were you you have some you you have your your organization, your yeah. community, and you're moving forward in that. Yeah, I couldn't do it. The Muslim brother couldn't do it. Yeah. But that's but here's the the thing that you're thinking about is something monolithic, and that's not how organization takes place. It never has. Okay. So, but I'm, but I'm, I'm, what, I'm what I'm saying is it's it's so strong of a driver of people. It's never been, and it isn't how organization occurs. It never has, and that's where we make a mistake. Okay. So when you look at um, take African civilization and African villages. Okay. Great African civilization or great African uh, societies, not civilization, but African societies. Great African societies were made up of very uh, 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 diverse, smaller societies. All right? So I'll give you, for example, um, take Ghana, Great Ghana, Great Songhai, Great Mali. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. These were made up of smaller African societies that had different, differing uh, belief systems or differing perspectives on things. Didn't stop them from co uh, uh, cooperating with each other. Here's how I define um, what I see when I study history and learn. Take a window pane, right? So you got a window that has four panes inside that window, four different panes, right? So that whole window is defined as the village or the town. Let's say it's defined as the town. Mm -hmm. But in that town, there are four villages. Now, in the center of that window where those four window panes come together is the marketplace where all of them come together during the day and conduct their business and exchange and trade. But at the end of the day, everybody goes back to their respective village. So in each village, they have their schools, they have their their uh, spiritual systems, they have their leaders, they have their whatever. Do you follow? Mm -hmm. So they're all distinct. But mm -hmm. it doesn't stop them from being African, and it doesn't stop them from being of the same town. Mm -hmm. Do you follow? Mm -hmm. So now, there are certain things that are common to that town. One, they all protect that town. They all protect the people within that town. They have alliances within that town. Mm -hmm. Do you see? Mm -hmm. So they bond, you know, with each other. They exchange with each other. Mm -hmm. That's how societies operate. There's no monolithic society you can point to anywhere on this planet. It never occurred. You see, it's always been diversity. So what occurs is, is that where you are diverse in some respects mm -hmm. from my diversity, mm -hmm. it's a point of recognizing that diversity, acknowledging that diversity. And yes, you can't build with me on certain things. Mm -hmm. I can't build with you on certain things. That's okay. That means that doesn't mean that we can't align on certain things. Why? Because what we do have common to each other is we're both of African descent, right? Mm -hmm. We both are talking about the liberation of African people, right? We're on the same page already in that particular regard. Now, what must occur? Birds of a feather flock together. So, so brothers who share 
your feathers mm -hmm. should organize with you. Those who share with my feathers should organize with me. Those who share, those in this chair, those who share, who are diverse in this chair, mm -hmm. should be organizing together. Now, mm -hmm. what do we do? We send leaders to the table, right, mm -hmm. to talk about those things where we share in common and what we can do and what we can build, and that's what we do. Mm -hmm. So we're not trying to impose who we are on one another. Right. That we're not doing that. That's mm -hmm. not even what it's about. So through that diversity, I mean, so the point is, is that there can be diversity in how we organize and work with each other. It's understanding how we work. America as a society has never been a monolithic white society. Never has. That's why they had a revolutionary war. <clears throat> if you go from one end of white America to the next. Mm -hmm. You got white folks who hate this government. Mm -hmm. I ain't talking about the the, the, the cracker who's in office. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about literally hate the nature of this government and are aligned against it. Go to what, what, what's called middle America. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Go to middle America and see how these folks are armed. And if you come up I here, would, here uh, as a, I'm telling you, if I you would, come I up would here, say to that. Hear me out for a minute. If you come up there as a government man, they will kill you. You got white folks who are Protestant, who don't give a damn about Catholics, about Facts. you know Baptists or that. They will kill you. Mm -hmm. You understand? Mm -hmm. White folks are not monolithic in this country. Don't get that belief. But they are team white supremacy. They might be team white supremacy. And that's, that is that's, the strongest religion no, in the they world. Are that's, that's strong for them in some respects. No, in every respect. No, because they dominate the world. For them, it's, what I'm saying is it's strong for them in some respect. White folks fight each other. That's even, fine. That's casualties of even, war. Even... I, want you to, I wish you would attend this lecture I'm doing. Because one of the things I point out is this. And I'll, I'll give it to you right here. To understand racism, as I point out to folks, you can't go to, to understand white people and racism, you simply can't go to racism to understand white people. It's not enough information there. That white people's behavior actually predates racism. So for example, you can't go to racism to understand why white people kill trees, the environment, mm -hmm. ecocide. Mm -hmm. You can't go to racism to understand why white people kill white people. Mm -hmm. and enslave white people. You understand? White people engage in genocide against white people. What do you think the whites here are doing to the Arabs? Or what do you think Arabs are doing to the Arabs? I mean, what is Saudi well, Arabia I, doing to folks in Yemen? Let me finish my point. You consider Arabs white? Let, Arabs are white. Mm. Okay? So, here are white folks killing white folks. You can't go there to understand why white people kill, kill whales. <clears throat> what predates that is conquest pathology. It predates racism. But you can if you understand that, excuse me, then you can understand white people. White people kill each other. All right? So what I'm saying is, no, they're not monolithic. And yeah, white folks will, you know, if you if you are able to incite them around the idea of, you know, racial threat. By way of black folks, you can rally them, all right, because of that cultural, you know, uh, thing that they're able to align around. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, but what I'm still saying is they're not monolithic, and this is the point. I wouldn't say they're for monolithic, us, but th- but that connect that universal it's connector. It's there. Is with white supremacy? It, white supremacy is there, but I'm telling you, and mock my words, I'm telling you, it can be pen- pen- penetrated. It has been penetrated, and this is why history is so important. King, you, we started with talking about King, mm-hmm. right? The king that most people are fed is white people's <laughs> white people's uh, sanitizing mm-hmm. king. The way they love Muhammad Ali now. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. There you go, man. You're talking about one of the most brilliant military strategists. Mm-hmm. I love that man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I I came up with you know a time man where um, I told you later in life. You know where you know King was taught. As you know, an Uncle Tom, you know, trying to be no, he never was trying to integrate with white folks. He was not and, an integrate. And who called I mean, him Uncle me, Tom? He was not a the national black, you know, a certain uh, a group of black folks. Mm-hmm. Here's what um, King was a, a very brilliant strategist. So two things about him. One of the things was the languaging that he used, control of the language. Mm-hmm. All right, so control of the language. Mm-hmm. So white folks were touting themselves as the big brother of, you know, of America, the big brother, the mole, um, you know, big brother of the world against the Soviet Union and all this and, you know, whatever it is. I said, okay. So the point of the marches was to march into the heart of the beast to make the beast reveal itself. Mm-hmm. So white folks come out, nigger, you know what I mean? Signs and, you know, police mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. of the institutions of racism. Mm-hmm come out with its vicious teeth mm-hmm. showing. And what did it do? It totally destroyed that image. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That was brilliant. Mm-hmm. That was absolutely brilliant. When King came out against the Vietnam War and languaged and identified what America really was, as he said, the biggest perpetrator of violence and racism in the world most destructive nation in the world, okay? Mm -hmm. What he did was he gave language to white mothers who didn't have anybody like that. You see, white mothers were, at the time, lauding Kennedy because they loved Kennedy. But Kennedy didn't speak to them about what the war was doing to their families, Mm -hmm. about their sons going off and fighting a war for corporate America that had nothing to do with them. You know what I mean? Um, what's, what's his name before him? Eisenhower. Didn't language that for white women. Do you know King was a major factor in white women coming out against the war and organizing against the war? Mm-hmm. They were using King as their leader. Mm-hmm. The student radicals, the student organizers on college campuses and around the country organized against the war listening to King. Mm-hmm. They they love us they love us when they're young. Don't 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 listen to that. They love us when they're young. Listen, they they, they listen to our music. Here's, here's what I'm telling they you. They get inspired. They what, copy it wasn't us. even just because of that. I'm telling you. Don't get it twisted. When they get old, they turn to don't, their parents. Don't, the, the white mothers weren't young. These were white mothers who recognized that they did not have a horse in that race. You understand? Who turned against and came out against that war. He did more to turn folks against this war than anybody you can name. Okay. King. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here, 
is a man who eventually became a voice to white people. You understand? Of various strata who never had that voice among themselves. That's what I'm saying. And so what did he do? It created an internal fight among white folks or mm -hmm. it exposed because he didn't just create it. Mm -hmm. It was already there. Mm -hmm. They needed a voice for it. And he became that voice, you know, for it. Okay. And what it demonstrated was that white people aren't monolithic is what I'm getting at. And we must understand that. Just like you heard divide and conquer, you know what I mean? But what's the net result for us? White people have always fought with each other. I, I don't care about them fighting with well, each other. They can, you, they can kill each other all the time. I mean, that's, that's what they do. Like you said, they're a conquer. They're destructive people, so they're going to eventually kill each other. But if they continue to rule and we continue to be the underclass, no matter if it's MLK, Malcolm X, Fred Hampton, whoever rises up for the black people, they will use us. Like white women used us to get rights for themselves, not for us. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, shoot. And to be to be honest, like the gay uh, whatever movement, yeah. they use us, yeah, yeah, and use what we did. Right, Mexicans coming here and people immigrants coming here, and there are laws that are passed for quote, people of color right. because of what black people did. Yeah, but ain't nobody doing nothing for us. I don't care if we inspire them if they're not giving anything back to us. Me as a thirty three year old man, I don't see the net result of that. So the you you basically are answering your own question. And the question is, what are you doing for yourself to, to benefit from the work that you're doing? Because what I'm saying with you, the examples are there. Mm -hmm. Well, my, my thing is, is fi financial independence is key for us. And financial independence is possible. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it's when, very possible. No, when we think about ourselves as us. And when we look to ourselves as us, sure, back, and that's a like, that's a like. that's a quite quantitative, a quantifiable thing, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And it's quantified by, for example, your guiding philosophy governing your behavior, so that when your spending is a black ritual, well, I'm looking to spend my money with black folks, buy my black folks. Facts. When I'm spending my money within the community. And I'm creating this community as I'm doing this, mm -hmm. all right? Because mm -hmm. that's what's possible. As I'm creating this community as I'm doing this, then black life in the way that we want it to be becomes possible. For sure. So we're really, the, in our conversation, the answers are already here. Mm -hmm. It's not anything that we are reinventing. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sharing with you certain things. You're sharing with me certain things. You're sharing, look, brother, you know. As you told me, you know, I'm cynical about so-and-so-and-so. -and -so. All right, you tell yourself you're cynical, but I know that you're not. All right, so you might want to stop telling yourself that. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, because <laughs> if you were as cynical as you think that you were, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. Well, I'm cynical. Uh, I'm not apathetic. And, I think that's that's what you're kind of saying. If know, I was I, apathetic, I, mean, I would just give up. I ain't even saying apathetic. That's Yeah, that is giving up. But even I'm to not going to give up. But even to say that you're cynical is really not the truth you wouldn't have the drive that you have you know what i mean you would um even to think that i'm doing what i'm doing is going nowhere all right that's cynical and you know what okay and you don't believe that at all no if that's the definition of cynical then no, yeah. i'm not cynical. no you're not I, I see cynical as just like i don't i don't see that we can do it because i haven't seen it done yeah. and so therefore and that's why it's so you know important. what i mean <laughs> Marcus I haven't Garvey, seen it done. Marcus Garvey, 
This is why God said what man has done, man can do. This is so important, man, to read. Mm -hmm. You can't go by the internet. You can't simply go by my conversation. Word. You have to read and get the conversation. Mm -hmm. God said what man has done, man can do. Here, Garvey didn't have the technology that you and I have, mm -hmm. right? You have access to the world by way of your technology, as, as you said, from this office. Now, Garvey, who, by way of writing the paper, The Negro World, mm -hmm. those papers, man, were being fanned out across the planet. Do you mm -hmm. know that he organized over 100,000 black people, the largest black organization all right, of mm -hmm. the time. Matter of fact, more than 100,000 black people. He had several hundred thousand black people in the UNIA. It hasn't been met yet. Mm. That's 1920s. Mm. Not, well, actually 1917 up through 1925 when he was deported. So it hasn't been done, replicated to this day. And one of the reasons that Garvey was able to do that was in an era when black folks defined themselves as black culturally. Right. Mm -hmm. This is this is there. Now, Garvey had folks of diverse backgrounds. Some folks were Christians, some folks were not. Some were Muslims, some were not. Some mm -hmm. were Hebrews. He had all kinds of people within the organization. Mm -hmm. But the organization was a very broad organization, an umbrella type organization that brought black people together to do a number of things. Then folks bought five ships, sending money into the U.S. Ships. Because he talked about intercontinental trade. Mm -hmm. We should be trading with Africa and trading with the black people of the Caribbean and, you know, doing all these different things. Mm -hmm. Folks did all kinds of stuff mm -hmm. under his leadership. Similarly, folks did all kinds of things under Booker T. Washington. You know, I read them all. I study them. Because at one time, you know, we had folks uh, pitting them against in, in the literature, pitting them, uh, you know, against each other. Booker T. Washington's Uncle Tom, W.E. Voss's Uncle Tom. <laughs> read them and learn from them. People go hard on Booker T. Washington. Yeah, right. <laughs> but Washington was a brilliant guy. He was smart. He was a smart <clears throat> dude. But, uh, you know, so yeah. I'm saying he just our answers, to talk to white people. I'm saying our answers are here. I'm not cynical about it. The only thing I'm cynical about, I'm not even cynical. The only thing that, 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 that distresses me to any degree mm. is I don't, I won't be living but so much longer. Mm. <clears throat> and it's like, man, I wish I knew now. I mean, I wish I knew when I was 18 what I know now. Mm. Because how many, what could I have done over the 40 years? You know, 40 plus years. Facts. You know, and so now it's like, look, I know that if I can convey this information and if I can build organization, it'll live beyond me. Mm -hmm. I have to institutionalize this. You know what I mean? So it's replicated. I know that if our folks get the, uh, uh, our leadership, get this um, um, uh, understanding of culture, and the power of it, we will transform the world. We're not only ourselves, but the world, even white folks. Because white folks who are fighting each other don't want this. When you look at white folks under Trump, white folks under Bush, white folks under Reagan, and you can go on. They were not monolithic under these people, even under Clinton. Because the system itself, you said it yourself, white folks are destroyed themselves. Because their system is about conquest. But no, no, just, not, no, I know you're not, not going to the destroy themselves thing. anymore. Listen, I know you're not saying because they found a but way to monetize. I'm, what I'm saying is, white folks, the world system is perpetual conquest. All right, even among themselves. So in their families, when there's wealth, white folks fight over it. Their their way is not about sharing it. Mm 
You understand? So when they sit down at the business table and the head of the family, who is the uh, <clears throat> the breadwinner in the family and is deciding who's going to, to inherit, mm -hmm. it's based on who basically is the most warrior-like. But step family. one is we have an inheritance. <clears throat> and if there are people of color in our vicinity, we will dominate them first and then we'll fight about the other stuff later. It's all us. It's all team white supremacy. But the one thing we ain't going to have is some person of color ruling over us. And that's one thing that they are on code about all across the world. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they're going to have a little infights. Republican, Republican and Democrat, they're going to fight about how to rule the people of color. Yo, you y'all not sophisticated. Y'all talking crazy. Like, well, you guys... You know, you guys are too mean. Like, you're too yeah. overt with it. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to fight over how to dominate people. But yeah. at the end of the day, they're going to make sure that's first things first. And then we'll talk about the other stuff after. You so know. you and I must have this conversation. What you identified was an issue. Mm -hmm. See, I believe in problem, solution. Mm -hmm. Not problem, problem. Word. I believe in problem, solution. Okay. So here's a problem. Now, how do we get our folks to accept black leadership? And that's all we talk. Black leadership. There is no mm -hmm. white leadership. Mm. You know, for us, mm -hmm. what's the conversation? You know what I mean? What is the reality that we must create for that to occur? And it does occur. Mm -hmm. There are black folks who think like that. I'm one of those. You, mm -hmm. you understand? Mm -hmm. You are one of those. Mm -hmm. Do you follow? Mm -hmm. There are others who think like that. Brother, nobody else is ruling me in that regard. It's mm -hmm. going to be black. And that's it. Mm -hmm. You see? Mm -hmm. and, it, and But also, our when we talk about leadership, understand that we're not talking about that type of leadership. You see, because when we look at African societies, I think about, take Kemet. Kemet is an example, is such a beautiful example. The coming together of Kemet was 41, 42 cities and towns along the Nile River. Mm -hmm. They came together under a national identity of an insubmitting, right? However, in those cities and towns, there were rulers and governors of each one of those towns that governed those towns. Mm. So even though Kemet's principal economy was an economic, I mean, excuse me, a um, um, farming economy, you still had cities and towns that were predominantly agricultural. Mm -hmm. And so in the towns that were predominantly agricultural, the folks still practiced the agricultural way. There was no one way imposed upon them. Mm. You follow? Yeah. That's, I mean, the beauty yeah. of African people. Kemet and Nubia went to war constantly mm -hmm. over land, resources. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> One of the things that just absolutely blew me away, this is respect. When Kemet conquered areas of Nubia, which was much more easier to do because it was a urban society mm. that with the kind of wealth that food, you know, the food allowed it to generate. Mm -hmm. So with that, they could amass an army much easier and sustain Mm. You know, an army much easier and could sustain war much easier. But do you know when they conquered territories in Nubia and they built temples? They built temples to the Nubian life forces. Mm. To a moon. Respect. Is that the same respect that... Uh... I don't know. We can go back and I'm forth saying, on that. Man. But, you know, no, listen, I, I, I so you, what I'm you. saying, that's respect. Yeah. That's knowing culture. That's a different kind of mindset. Yeah. So that when we are talking, you're saying, listen, at some point the war must end. That is when victory occurs. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Okay? Establish the society that's yours. 
Mm-hmm. Establish a society that's yours. Establish a society that's yours. Mm-hmm. This is what African people did. They yeah. fought in common, mm-hmm. but when the war ended. Now, what has happened on the continent of Africa? Even though you had diverse African societies that lived mm-hmm. in harmony mm-hmm. for hundreds of years with each other, and with the coming of white people who conquered them in that area, and then, you know, divine this artificial area, Nigeria. <laughs> yeah, started drawing right, you know, whatever. boundaries and stuff. And, uh, and so when the war, when the uh, colonization or the political colonization in, what occurred? The folks maintained that artificial geography, and then the Hutus fight to dominate the Tutsis. The Tutsis fight to dominate rather than understand historically. Here's the land that we had. Historically, here's the land that we had. Let us try to use that as a lesson and a tool, right, or a guide by which we can establish societies that work. I feel you on that. I wish we could easily come to that conclusion as a people. Culture. Nkrumah and uh, 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 Patrice Lumumba talked that. You know what I mean? Cross borders mm-hmm. of creating a united Africa that mm-hmm. recognized identity, all right, that you could maintain that, you know, and still organize. Mm-hmm. And that's, we still have that to go because it still gets used against us. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, so like, and, uh, you know, you see this bubble up all, all over Africa with, you know, the howls of fighting the evil, the uh, Tutsis fighting the Hutu, I mean, the, uh, the, um, what I just said earlier, and or uh, in Liberia, where you had the indigenous folks of Liberia, the indigenous African, fighting the repatriated Africans, those that migrated, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to the, to the re, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. migrated back to the continent and established themselves, but yet they refer, they see themselves as two different af- ethnic groups in Africa, and mm-hmm. yet are willing to go to war and commit genocide. Something wrong there in the philosophy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In the history and mm-hmm. how we see, in the culture of how we see each other. Mm-hmm. That has to be reshaped. Simply because, put. Because <laughs> given the weaponry, without the proper culture, philosophy, and language, we'll kill each other. <laughs> We're killing right. each other. That's and, what I'm saying. And, and it's know, been happening. Yeah, in the- I ain't interested in putting no weapons in no black folks' hands right here, right now. <laughs> oh, uh. I mean, I, you know, look, I do talk that at times. I would love to have some weaponry to do some retaliation against some of the injustices. Word. Believe me. I mean, I absolutely would love it right mm-hmm. now. But I. It That's not the foundation. No. Right. Uh-huh. The foundation is, is that the greatest weapon that one can have is knowledge of self. And maintain that. I mean, we have the examples of that. When I look at uh, what Japan did and what China did in fighting against the U.S. and the Soviet Union that was using cultural war, these nations fought back culturally. So, you know, when you look at look at cultural, uh, what, um, soft power mm-hmm. in warfare, you mm-hmm. know, and read on that, I'm telling you. It will share, it will tell you something about what is necessary. Mm-hmm. What we must do is to divest from white media and create and 
tune in to black media, like what you're doing right now with this podcast. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We need more and more black folks creating more podcasts, mm-hmm. more things to listen to. Black folks creating more programs that perpetuate who we are and talk about who we are. As we are doing that and tuning in and tuning these white folks out, we can make a difference. Thanks. We will make that difference, and we're going to make that difference. You know, so I mean, I'm 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 clear that there are folks like you who are podcasting more and more every day. I mean, I met mm-hmm. so many black folks, man, podcasting, it ain't funny. That's so we're out there. That's good. You know, and uh, so it's important that we're doing that and that we capture media. Uh, and uh, one of the pieces I'm writing, a piece on um, cultural therapy, mm. um, I'm doing just that, talking about that, so that uh, there's a brother from Grenada, um, uh, Maurice Bishop, who was murdered by uh, the U.S. Uh, government mm-hmm. <clears throat> under um, Carter administration. I think it was a Carter administration. Maurice Bishop had given a, in a speech to um, the, me, the political and cultural leaders within this country. Mm-hmm. Or it could have been even larger than that, but it was an, I know it was a, a major conference, national conference. And one of the things that he pointed out to the folks in the country, these leaders, he said that the war is a cultural war. Mm. So to make the point, he quoted Ronald Reagan. And uh, in Ronald Reagan's, uh, in this quote that he gave Ronald Reagan, I'm summarizing, Reagan said that the war is for the control of the minds, Mm. the control of the minds of the masses. And in order to control the minds of the masses, we must control information. So we must control the books, publications. We must control the authors. Mm-hmm. We must control the movies, the music, and everything. He said, so when you look at the entertainers, you know, in the uh, entertainment industry, everybody wants to be rewarded. Mm-hmm. So we must control the means of producing music and rewarding mm-hmm. you know, the musicians, mm-hmm. money, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, awards, mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. Uh, and the publishers, I mean the writers. So if we control what they are writing, and we control, you know, the, then we control the language and we control the information. We control the philosophy and how people are guided. Yeah. This is the point that he said. He said, so it's our responsibility as a people to, re, to create, recreate our culture in language, recreate our culture in music and perpetuate it, perpetuate who we are in our music and in our language and, you know, so and so. That was his words. And he's right on point. I mean, he was just absolutely on point. So when I think of music, man, I mean, I disdain what I hear, mm-hmm. you know, in so-called rap music or this nonsense that's on there <laughs> that they call rhythm and blues. Mm-hmm. They got nothing to do with true, true black music. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm reminded of um, uh, Miles Davis, a great uh, trumpeter, who said, stop calling this music by these diverse names. First of all, it should be called black music. Mm-hmm. Because he said, if you don't call it black music, white people will steal it. <laughs> I don't think that's going to stop them. No, it doesn't stop the attempt. Because <laughs> they have success. But see, <laughs> if you continue to call it black music, they can't stop it. If you continue to call it black music, you read, you're defining it in a certain kind of way. So here's, here's my example of it. <clears throat> well, Kanye West tried to do it. And it didn't work. Kanye West is another, another, <laughs> another something. Um, when I think of black music, um, you know, uh, you take when you take uh, somebody like Miles Davis 
and others like this who did not allow white musicians initially into their sphere. Mm -hmm. They didn't have them as a part of their bands. Mm -hmm. The music was distinct. Now, white folks tried to take it and run with it in, under their own names, and that is what they were able to look at and say, see, this is what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So white folks took you know, uh, jazz and, and, and tried to redefine it as swing and called Buddy Benny Goodman and Paul Whiteman, you know, and others as the king of swing and the king of so-and-so-and-so. White folks attempting to steal rhythm and blues, you know, and, uh, um, and under Elvis Presley, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And mm -hmm. whatever it is, rock mm -hmm. and roll. Mm -hmm. And as long as black folks kept black music, we can perpetuate it to each other. We can insulate ourselves with it. Right, we're singing it to each other. Now, there's a you can you can go out here and maybe sing something to white folks, but you're not allowing them to come back to you. You're not accepting what they sing. You understand? You're not bringing it home. It's not a part of your record collection. Like ain't no Elvis. It sounds the the, so, the theory sounds good, but it just doesn't play out like that in society. It doesn't play out that easily. But you must educate and you must build in that way. Give you an example. What's in the news right now? There's a group of white folks called Jews, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You go home and turn on the news right now, and that's yeah. what you're hearing about, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. They're white people. They're white people. And what have they done? They've insulated themselves in a way of perpetuating their culture, their language, their philosophy, mm -hmm. and their traditions. Mm -hmm. White people do it. Asians do it. Everybody else does it. So it's not impossible. That's the thing that we must get clear on. Mm -hmm. Because when you recognize that, it makes it easier. See, what we see, man, is the hard part, hard, hard, hard. I know it ain't that hard because I see it done before me all the time. That's what I was stating about these uh, the Hispanic communities. So when you go to L.A. and you go to certain parts of L.A., you ain't in no, you ain't in the U.S. <laughs> you understand? You in, you in, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You in Mexico. Mm -hmm. You go to certain parts of uh, uh, San Francisco. You know, you go to the heart of San Francisco, downtown uh, uh, Chinatown, as they call it, mm -hmm. you are not in America. You ever been to downtown Chinatown? I mean, in uh, uh, San Francisco? I've been down, not to Chinatown in San Francisco, no. Go to downtown Chinatown, San Francisco, on a weekday, mm -hmm. and I guarantee you, you will feel just like you are in Asia. I'm downtown, San Francisco, a friend of mine, and uh, brother stepped into the store because he wanted to go in the store for something. All right, I'm standing outside on the street. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting on him. I don't see another black person. I don't even see a white person. You know what I see? Nothing but Asians. Mm -hmm. All the stores are Asian. They know white folks. But white stores people there. allow that to happen. No, 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 no. White people did not allow that to happen. Yes, they no, did. they did not either. You know what occurred? <laughs> Asian, Asian culture. Well, they have culture. a culture because they have a they they control. Look, white people let stuff happen, whatever they want to happen, whatever they allow to happen in America in their country, they're going to allow it you, to happen. You use the word "let," and I'm telling you, it isn't let. They let it happen. No, no. if white folks wanted to run, if there was if there was an all-out assault or all-out just utter hatred for Chinese people, they would run them out. But America has to let it happen because they have done so many deals with China. They have to allow it. 
actual take on it. No, they literally have to. You can't, you can't, you can't take that much money from a country. I'm saying that's your take on it. And so China has soft. What you said? What you call it? Soft what? Power. Soft power. They I'm, lend. I'm saying they, that's, they they trying to do it in Africa and I'm, they're slowly. I'm saying that's your take on it. Okay. Yeah, that is my take on it. <laughs> and I'm saying go study it, and you will know. I'm watching it. I'm watching and, it and happen. What you will know is people's the tenacity of culture is important. Tenacity of culture. Tenacity of culture. They have the part resources of, to do it. Part though. of our, what we call the, the black experience of the 60s, you know, mm-hmm. the 40s and the 30s and all, has to do with tenacity of culture. Even while white folks were killing black people and lynching black people, you know what I mean, and denigrating mm-hmm. who we were, mm-hmm. what were we doing? Perpetuating our culture consistently, mm-hmm. even under war. Yeah. So it's the tenacity of culture. But it's not happening right now. Why? Because does, we keep no, no, why, <laughs> why do certain things occur? When you accumulate enough power in certain areas, then you're able to stabilize it. What? Now, that's not to say, that's not to say if war broke out in the U.S. between certain, you know, uh, 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 groups, that this group can't come under attack, but I guarantee you it won't be like it was before. Why? If there were, there's an all-out assault and attack on black people in America every day. Fact? In a certain way. Yeah. In a certain way. It's yeah. been perpetuated. Every decade, you can think of something that's been yeah. happening towards black people. Yeah. And what have black people been has doing? That, has that happened to Chinese people? Yeah. Yeah. Consistently? Consistently. When? It does. But not... In the 90s? Not, not, hold it. Hold it. Five years in ago? Mind, bear 10 in years mind, ago? Hold it. Bear in mind, their historical experience is different. But if they come under attack in this way, yeah. Read their history in, in terms of so the So they're getting killed the by West. the police. They're being dominated they were. In, in America. I said they were. Not now. Not the right, way. No, because they now. made moves. They made moves. I agree with you. They made moves. But don't think that those moves that were. That we can't make. That's not true. Who in Africa is going to make moves for us? I'm saying the moves that we are able to make here comes by way of cultural power. Yes, we can make those moves. We've so made those point, moves and we've been no, dominated no, 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 and defeated no, 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 every no, time. We did not make those moves. What we made were political and economic moves without a cultural foundation. So the folks in uh, Tulsa. Political and cultural, I mean, political and economic moves that did not have a cultural foundation. I said that earlier. I said that one of the things that they did not have was an African centered background to what they were doing. So what they saw themselves as, they actually defined themselves within an American context. Free citizens in an American context. So when you go back and look at the culture, look at the culture and how the folks define the culture. They saw themselves as something new and defining themselves as something new and pretty much divorced themselves, not totally divorced themselves from the African context. Why? Because they didn't know it. They didn't have it. And so in that particular regard, when the town was destroyed, right, it made it near impossible to rebuild. When people maintain their culture, what they maintain is their identity. So you may take the institution, but what are people able to do? Recreate it. But we need to... But how can, how can we you... Need to, we need to wrap it up. Yeah, we, need, we need to wrap I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I keep going. I hear you. Um, I appreciate your time 
Yeah, I appreciate you, good brother. I appreciate your time. This yeah. is a lot of time. This is the longest I've ever gone. <laughs> and I didn't mean to take your time up like this, but uh, uh, um, you got a lot to say, and I got a lot to say. Yeah. And I like your style. I appreciate you too, brother. So, I appreciate what you're doing. For sure. Yeah. Appreciate you. Yeah. So um, tell the folks about what you're doing with the Tenefra Aunt community and how that works. So Tenefra Aunt <clears throat> was founded in um, 82, and I learned from Marcus Garvey uh, what came clear to me that if we were going to make a difference, it was going to be on a mass scale. You know, so organizing black folks on a mass scale. I learned from Garvey and our historians. So the significance of the two of uh, the historians that I mentioned, Dr. Yosef Benyakinen and uh, Dr. Cheikh Diop, both referred us to Africa and said that if we as a people were to recover and, um, and, and build base, we must recover our identity, <clears throat> our African identity. And Kemet is the center of that. Kemet is the place that we must study and learn from that. So in doing that, uh, Tanefa Ankh came out of that understanding and merging those two um, understandings uh, with each other. So my mission is community building. So in that regard, I teach, I'm constantly pushing uh, with people that our work is to build community. No matter what our philosophical orientation is, that if your, as I shared with folks, if your philosophical orientation is Yoruba, then you need to be creating Yoruba community. If it's Hauser, that's what you need to do. If it's Christian, that's what you should be doing. If it's Muslim, black, you know, as you're black in this regard, you need to be pushing the community because in community there's power. And so with that community, then we can come together at the table as communities mm -hmm. and interact uh, <clears throat> with each other. We're not coming under any one umbrella organization to build, uh, because we can't build one institution, schools. Right. Because you'll, you know, well, I don't want to belabor the point. So anyway. I feel you, I feel you. <clears throat> that um, this is the work that I do. I, uh, as I said, I'm a student of history, so I've uh, written. You know, I was compelled to write, so I've written a book. Hopefully, I'll publish it sometime soon. I always say that. <laughs> but I'm writing uh, several works in the history of African people, but also in my work around addressing the cultural problems that we face. And that largest problem is cultural pathology, what white people have done in terms of what uh, I define as cultural imposition. We have been knocked off of our cultural track or you know our, our way and so we suffer uh cultural alienation uh you know uh, problems in terms of cultural identity uh and and the like <clears throat> and cultural therapy using culture as a tool to restore our identity our way of life it, uh, and to counter cultural pathology cultural therapy is the i perceive as the uh the uh, most effective uh, counter. So I'm an advocate of cultural therapy and uh, an architect of cultural therapy in the use for African liberation and uh, uh, moving forward. And then with respect to racism, because as I indicated, uh, racism is a product, product of cultural pathology. That um, I also am an architect of, of racism therapy, something that uh, mm. I'm actually uh, using here in uh, Portland. And in fact, the brother that I work with has been using, this is a, a 
mental health mm. um, uh, agency and uh, that has embraced what I teach, you know, from That's history, awesome. uh, cultural therapy, racism therapy, and addressing, uh, you know, their client base and the community. So yeah. what we're looking to do is enlarge mm -hmm. uh, that work, not only here, but across the country. So even from Baltimore, where I, once I come, I'm working with an agency there, mm -hmm. you know, to do the same. And then I actually work with folks around the country okay. and doing the same. So this is some of the work that I do. Yeah. yeah. Well, once again, man, I appreciate you. How can people, um, you know, find out about you online, social media? How should they reach out to you? <clears throat> you can um, find me online at uh, tanefaonk.com. That's T-A-N-E-F-E-R-A-N-K-H.com, tanefaonk.com, Kemet Way. Dot com k e m e t w a y uh, dot com. You can write to me at um, life at tanefaonk dot com and at admin at kimitway uh, dot com or directly to me at haruka anu h e r u uh, excuse me haru h e r u at haru anu h e r u at h e r u a n u uh, dot com. Awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I hope y'all enjoyed this conversation between a young, unknowing brother and yeah. a more seasoned, unknowing brother, knowledge, knowledgeable, <laughs> full of wisdom, a thousand book read brother. So, um, yeah. yeah, man, if y'all have any questions, if you want to uh, join in on the conversation, hit me up. A lot of y'all been texting me. I had so many questions that I couldn't get to. Oh, I hear you. A lot of folks asking about like more religious type <clears throat> stuff, but. Mm -hmm. I just I feel like we had to go in the direction that we went in. But uh you hit me up, uh, text me if y'all y'all know who y'all are and uh, everybody else for the socials, uh for Twitter and Instagram, the show page at SXSNDLS, my personal Instagram, Emmanuel Since85, my personal Facebook, hit me up, uh with my government, Emmanuel Williams. And uh once again, it's the Socks and Sandals Podcast. Where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Grace and peace. News, that good news, I'm evidence. Oh, I gave you the truest me, my truest speech, true and deep from the loosest leaves of my loose leaf. My flaws and all, see? I'm fragile, but by grace, I am choosing peace over losing sleep. And I must say, these sandals fit quite nicely over these cool release. Nike sacks, Birkenstocks, oh, what a faux pas. Unmasked, unabashed, unashamed. Uh, hear the voice set up unacclaimed. Yeah, hear the voice set up unacclaimed. Maybe that's a taboo. Maybe it's a fad, but maybe just in fact, I was used to wearing bad shoes. Uh, Nike socks, Birkenstocks, oh, what a faux pas. Unmasked, unabashed, unashamed. Uh, hear the voice set up unacclaimed. Yeah, hear the voice set up unacclaimed. Maybe that's a taboo. Maybe it's a fad, but maybe just in fact, I was used to wearing bad shows. Bad shows.